Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. But I'm so excited because um, these two, the Queen of Wisdom, is, are with us this morning. And we have some questions that we're going to dive into here in a second. But we're in our relationship series. And we started, Pastor Leanne actually kicked us off a couple weeks ago. So if you weren't here, please listen to that message. It's called Don't Break the Cycle. And it is a powerful message that will, that she addresses all types of relationships, not just marriages, all types of relationships, parenting, family. And so we wanted to kind of piggyback off of that and bring in the expert genius, Dr. Yes. Brian Ricewig, to amen all the things that we are saying. So welcome. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Glad to see your beautiful faces in church this morning. Who wants to get right into it? It's quiet in here. You guys, you guys like, are just, just relax. We're having, we're having coffee with Pastor Leanne and Dr. Brian. That's how it's yes. going to be, okay? Listen, what I the really... The living room right the here. big table. What, yes. I think, <laughs> what I think we should do is we're all little flies on the wall, and we just listen to you two talk. Well, you have, you have to give us some, some, so we'll some guidelines. I'll give you bump, yeah. set, spike, and then, right. and then we'll just listen and glean. And I know the first service was a little bit quiet because I know they were just processing all the things and applying it to their lives. Because anytime I hear these two talk, I'm just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I did. oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. So take notes, but take this away and have conversations with the people in your life. Have conversations with your spouse. Healthy, process healthy. And um, we're here to join alongside of you as a church to help you do that. But I remember in your message a couple weeks ago, Pastor Leanne, you talked about in relationships how we sometimes can get stuck over expecting and underfunding. And so we are expecting more out of the re relationship than what we are getting. And yes. so I, I'm not necessarily going to ask you to rehash that because yeah. people can listen to the message. But when you get in that cycle, sometimes people can get resentment, bitterness, because they don't know how to, A, get out of the cycle, and they are mad that they're in the cycle, right? They yes. get, they get yes. upset. And so all the feelings come up. And so that's really what I want to open up the question this morning with, is just that. What do we do when we are stuck in a place of resentment, bitterness in a spouse, in a family relationship, and how we manage that and handle that and even prevent it from happening in the future? Yeah. Well, that's, that, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. I'm going to let Dr. Brian really jump into the resentment question. Yeah. But I would say in the over expecting underfunding, I think um, I will say this, no relationship can thrive where there's a double standard, where I'm expecting from you what you're not willing to reciprocate. So I want affection and affirmation, but I'm not giving it. I, I want to be encouraged and adored, but, but I'm not going to give it. I want you to do things for me, but I'm not doing things for you. I am woman, hear me roar. And, and so that's, it's a, it's a selfishness. And if you look at the majority of relationships, and they, they basically just file everything under irreconcilable differences. It's like, we don't know what to call this, so let's just call it that. By and large... Not every time it's that. There is a divine cycle that has been broken. One partner has stopped reciprocating. Maybe two, but definitely one partner has stopped reciprocating. And that's the place where resentment begins to find a place to lodge itself. And once resentment really sets in, that's when a marriage becomes soured and the, the, the wine of your love, like the Solom Song of Solomon speaks about it, becomes like bitter vinegar, yeah. right? So this is where, where a lot of marriages find themselves. So I would, I would just say to every person, ask yourself this question. Where in my marriage relationship, or maybe any relationship, but let's focus in on marriage today, am I over-expecting but under-funding? Yeah. I have an expectation of my spouse, but I'm not giving back. 
because it, it creates not only a resentment, but a sense of hopelessness, like will things ever shift? I used the analogy in the first service of, you know, even different apps and programs on the computer oftentimes come with like a one month free trial. And even Microsoft knows that after that one month free trial where you get to experience all the awesome, yeah. there's an understanding, you're gonna give back now, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> now I want $9.99 a month. <laughs> and so I think if we take, if we have that understanding, and it's actually very godly too. Uh, in, in, the, in the book of Malachi, God goes into great length about this very thing. He's saying to his people, the Israelites, the ones that he had gone into covenant with, and marriage relationship is the covenant relationship. I am giving, 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 pouring out, parting a Red Sea, drowning an Egyptian army, giving you my name, giving you my protection, giving you a pillar of fire by night and the cloud that covers by day. And you are robbing me. This is not, this is not fair. Like it's unjust. Like I'm extending myself and I'm meeting a brick wall and it's a frustrating place for any spouse to be in. So I think we always have to start, like Michael Jackson said, with the man or the woman in the mirror and think what parts of my marriage am I underfunding but then entitled? And now I'll defer to the good doctor. So good. So good. Uh, The... the the piece that um, felt really, really helpful came up in the first service is it's always helpful for me to name it. I really love it when I get to name it in a setting like this because I'm not looking at somebody, um, but I can still put this truth on the table because uh, it's a hard word to receive. It changed my life. I, I, I say this in a strong form because it radically changed my life. When, when my wife and I went through our crisis about 13, 14 years ago, um, I, w- I would call this like one of the, if not the, uh, pivotally, like turning points was when God revealed to me that bitterness and resentment in my heart is a bar, is a byproduct of me. It is not a byproduct of Sarah. That if I feel resentment towards Sarah, it is only ever a diagnostic reflection of the way that I view Sarah, not the way that she treats me. That is not the same as saying that um, that the other person is not responsible for their behavior. It's saying that their behavior cannot cause resentment in your heart unless I turn to you in a posture that says this is not fair. Unless I fail to either protect myself or I don't have realistic expectations of you. And so just being able to, uh, actually somebody in the green room had a, a brilliant story about just being like, oh, I was able to turn to my spouse and say, man, I'm feeling resentment. That is, a, it's a kind of confession, isn't it? I can turn to Sarah now and I can be like, I'm realizing I'm realizing there's a little seed of resentment. I am confessing to Sarah my responsibility. And then, and, this, and, and there's no tension. There's no, there's the, the dichotomy between these things is false. And it's because of this. It's because maybe you forgot something or you didn't consider me. Or, um, but the resentment is there not because she you know, violated a boundary or, or did some, made, made a mistake. The resentment is there because of the way that I am viewing and interpreting either my safety or my position in the relationship or her treatment of me. And it's, it's uh, taking ownership of that absolutely transforms what's possible. We get, like, like Pastor Leanne was saying, there is a cycle. We're in a, either in a cycle of love or a cycle of fear. A cycle of love looks like out of my safety, I offer you giving, a self-offering posture, which creates safety for you, you feel loved, and you turn to me with self-offering, or in pain, in fear, in scarcity, I armor up, and I turn to you in some other way, either I pull away from you or I I go into attack, causing unsafety in you, and that leads to a posture of self-protection in you, and it's a a self-deepening cycle. And so being able to recognize, okay, we always wanna look at, where's my agency? Okay, maybe they're doing something that's like, very destructive or very problematic or really not okay. Where's my agency? Where's my power in this situation? I don't have to participate in that cycle. Mm. I can take care of the bitterness and the resentment in my heart. I can go to you and say, I'm needing something that that isn't on the table. And and then if you need support, if you if if they refuse to accept that, then you say, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the person that convinces you to meet my needs. We're gonna talk to somebody else that can advocate for me and bring balance and restoration to the cycle. Yeah. So, that went a little deeper than I intended. No, it's so good. Go deep. We like deep. We like deep. So communication is so key in not in 
staying off that resentment because I know in my the early years of my marriage and the and the later years, let's be honest. <laughs> and this it's year, a really, yeah, and this year, last week, no. Uh, <laughs> but I'll say this: um, what I have learned, Pastor Jürgen and I have learned through trial and error, is verbalizing the issues we have, the conflicts we have, before they are able to become a resentment. And if I can actually say, what you did hurt me, or this made me feel unvalued, or I felt overlooked, or whatever it may be, because a lot of people, they don't voice their issues, and so they, and they just become resentful and mean. And I shared the story in the first service of when we were newly married. We had different expectations around how many times we would be intimate in a week or, and, and he had, you know, <laughs> high levels. I was quite happy, you know, like down in the moderate zone. And, but there was no communication, like, and, and I found that my husband defaulted to a pattern from his parents, which was, I just go silent, I say nothing, and I will show you how I feel through passive aggressive actions. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just slam the cupboard door. Or I'll, you know, like not answer your questions, give you the silent treatment, just be cold. I'll, I'll shut off the warmth. And I'm here like, you know, and I come from a parents who talk about, come from a family where I have parents who talk about everything and very open with their feelings. And so I just, I was like, I, I'm sensing something vexes thee. <laughs> And I opened it up and I pushed. And of course, he denied it for a little while. And then the conversation came out. Well, I feel like you're neglecting me in this area. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say so? You should have told me that's actually an easy thing to fix. So I think resentment is stayed when we learn to communicate in a respectful and honoring, but very direct and clear way. Sometimes the sandwich method doesn't work because we put too much bread on that thing and not enough meat. <laughs> and and being, being Australian, I just want to know, just tell me, yeah. like, I want to have sex with you more. Okay, <laughs> we'll start there, right? <laughs> Mark, amen. amen. But then it at least, what it does is it incites uh, wrong time to leave, James and Andessa. Wrong time to leave. Wow. Yeah. Way to uncover your it's own gonna self. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, my friend. <laughs> um. <laughs> Just because you didn't like the answer. That's right. <laughs> so having that... <laughs> Having that communication has been so key for us and navigating the different families of origin you come from. Jürgen's family just would shut, you know, be quiet and just inwardly see that one another and, you know, carry baggage through the generations. Whereas my parents would just, there'd be fireworks for an hour, they'd sort it out. And so I would say to you today, your spouse is not a mind reader. And they shouldn't have to pick up from your passive, aggressive tantrums. Use your, your big boy or big girl voice. Yeah. Tell them what is really bothering you and have the right conversation, not the wrong reaction. And you'll find it's a lot harder for resentment to embed itself in your relationship. Yeah. So, oh, so many yeah. golden nuggets there. Did you want to say something else? I, I, was, I was just You were just amending. saying so good. Yeah. I know. People, people say that um, marriage is the top three the reasons marriages end is sex, money, and communication. Wow. Sex and money are just forms of communication. Sex and money are, wow. are, are a form of trust capital. And so just to like, I cannot amen what Pastor Leanne was saying enough that the ground of any kind of thriving. Like you want, maybe you want to say yes to a bigger life in your marriage or you want better connection or, or whatever it is. The ground of all of it is communication. Yeah. Yes. Amen. I love it. Come on, let's give them a clap for that. I'm going to change it up a little bit on you guys, um, according to what we did last service, because I want to go in the direction because we're kind of in this place of communication coming out of place of resentment in order to be the solution to communicate. Um, but oftentimes, resentment is caused by mistrust. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about trust and rebuilding trust. And the question would be this. How do you build back trust when it has been broken? How do you have grace to let the person heal and grow versus feeling like the trust will be broken again if they fall? So balancing how, how much trust do I give and what's my responsibility as the person that's trying to regain trust? You start. Boom. 
Surprise. There, there's, a, there's probably a couple of layers to that question. So I'll start with what might feel like the most, um, the most overt, and that's when there's been like a, a significant and identifiable breach in trust. Something happened, there was infidelity or there was, there was lies, something was hidden. Uh, and in a moment like that, the most common way I see couples trying to rebuild trust, and, and it comes from, it really comes from the right intention, is the, the, the wound, the breach feels so scary and so overwhelming that both of them think, well, it happened. We hate that it happened. Um, it's heartbreaking or it's infuriating that it happened. The other person is thinking, I feel terrible. I can't believe that I did this. Let's just put it behind us. And they just try really hard, like, okay, let's just move on. And obviously the ground of that is an attempt to say, let's forgive and move forward. But we don't realize that we've actually, we've given that event an immense amount of power in lives. Like the, the inability to talk about something is not forgiveness. The inability to talk about something is what we call fetishization. It's like, that is powerful. We need to disarm the bomb. And so there's a couple of pieces that really, really transform your guys' ability to rebuild trust. One, when there's been repeated offenses, maybe you're talking about addiction or you're talking about some sort of compulsive behavior that, that when you're talking about repeated offenses, um, one of the things that we slip into is like, let's say if I'm the person that has committed the offense, I, I think, oh, my, my avenue to rebuild trust with you is to convince you. It's my job to convince you I'm gonna try harder or do better or you're not gonna be in this again. And convincing is something that gets communicated on a nervous system level because I'm in a state of anxiety when I'm trying to convince you and your nervous system doesn't pay attention to my words. Your brain processes the other person's what we call affect, which is the state of their nervous system, their tone of voice, their emotion, their facial expression, seven times faster than your brain processes the words that they're saying. So by the time you respond to that person's words, if they said it in an angry tone, it doesn't matter what they said. You've just, you're in defensive posture wow. already. Wow. And so to realize that uh, the three pieces that are really critical is first ownership, a couple like that needs insight and a couple like that needs accountability. So if there's, if there's any sort of like repeated offense where trust has been broken, we need ownership, meaning the person who committed that breach needs to take radical unilateral ownership of their own transformative healing. They need to be able to turn to the other person. This isn't about what you need anymore. This is about me being a whole person of integrity. I am gonna go do the work and figure out why am I stuck in this pattern? Why did I break trust with you? Why did I breach? That ownership is actually the thing that's gonna to communicate to the other partner, I'm safe. Okay, maybe, maybe it, 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 there's a little bit of a messy process, right? Maybe it's not perfect, maybe there's stumbling, maybe there's like slips or lapses in that process, but the fact that I can see you, you're not waiting for me to, to hold you accountable, to like follow up, hey, did you make that call? Did you do the meeting? Did you blah, blah, blah? You're, you're just grabbing the bull by the horns. That's actually the thing that builds trust. Insight means, if I violate my own value system, there's a blind spot. We don't even have to do any investigation. If I am violating my own value, if I'm doing something that's incongruent with what I believe to be good, then there's a blind spot and I need to go connect the dots. I need to understand what is, what is the thing I'm operating in that is leading me to behave in a way that is destructive in my life. And, and we need space to go process that and that person cannot be your spouse. And then last when we talk about accountability, we're just talking about, I need to set up structure. If there's been repeated offenses or we just make, we set up external structure that makes it um, a kind of safe container for me. So if I'm struggling with devices, okay, I'm gonna go get like a 19, uh, 2000 Nokia phone that can't, you know, I'm gonna go create structure for myself wow. that I can't, breach this anymore. Yeah. Not, and, and the thing I think that keeps most people from taking those kind of more radical steps is it makes them feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me, or I feel like a child, or I feel untrustworthy. Wow. That is what self-empowerment looks like. Wow. That when you take those steps, what you're saying is like, this thing doesn't have power over me. I don't care. You know, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Pluck it out. What he's saying is real radical freedom looks like an abandonment to all the conditions that your ego thinks it needs. I need to make a certain amount of money. I need to look a certain way. Real freedom is, man, I could leave all of that if it means stepping into my identity in Christ. And that's the thing that builds the deepest freedom or the deepest trust with your partner. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Thank you. We could spend the whole morning on that. We could. Yes. Incredible. Pastor Leanne, did you want to add anything on that? I, I, I'm amening everything Amen. you're saying, and I, and I love it. And I'm thinking back to 
mine and Pastor Jürgen's early years of marriage where I had used, I had grabbed from the devil's toolbox because there had been some breaches in trust in how he managed our finances. Mm. Because we came from different worlds. My, I would say my family had a lot more fear around money. I had a bit of a poverty mentality, wanted to control everything. Whereas, you know, he grew up with a little bit more abundance and, you know, always had things and had the ability to buy things. And then we're married and we have this budget and we had to find that middle ground. And I remember one day he came back with like a secondhand car that he was gonna fix and do up. And it was like Jack coming home with magic beans. <laughs> and I'm like, oh dear God, like we can barely pay the rent and get put food on the table and, and you're buying a car to fix up and you don't know the first thing about doing that. <laughs> and of course, nothing ever came of it. And so then my solution was because he'd breached my trust in the financial area was to seize control. Mm. I remember one day, being really faced with the reality of what I had become when he came to me with his cap in his hand asking for $5. And I'm like, I am a monster. Like, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to have this kind of relationship. And it was then that I felt the Lord say, in order to, for him to prove to you that you can trust him again, you have to allow him to be entrusted with this and even let him kind of find his way. And as a result, he's become like an excellent, over and above, reliable steward of our family finances and has not only, you know, uh, been a great steward but multiplied everything. Had I controlled it out of fear because of those few breaches of trust in the beginning, I would not have what I have today. And the Bible actually says those who, who... who won't release and cling tightly to something will end up losing. But those who actually open up their hand to give an appropriate level of trust will actually increase all the more. And that was my story. So incredible. Yeah. So good. Like Dr. Brian was talking about, in order to help some practical ways, like to rebuild trust, getting a device like that doesn't have internet and things like that, mm-hmm. I wanted to just practically tell you all that our men's and women's prayer meetings are incredible, safe places to come, and as well as our recovery program, safe place to come when you are on that journey of rebuilding trust with your spouse. So we like to give you the tools, and there you have some tools. Beautiful. And also, you know, kind of shifting subjects a little bit, you've touched on it a bit, um, but just managing family outside of your marriage, so extended family. Does anyone here have extended family? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them by choice, some of them not. Yes, I know. I understand. Um, But how do we, because you come together, and we, we have backgrounds, we have ways that we were raised, we have things that we were taught, and you come together in marriage, and you're supposed to leave those things behind and become one in this new relationship. Um, However, you will start to build that and find that some people in your extended family won't necessarily like the things that you stand for, and 2020 was a sure enough way to get all of the weeds removed to see who stands for what, (laughs) some good, some bad. But the question that I want to land here is what to do in situations where extended family doesn't agree with my values, And then just another layer of that would be this. How do you set up boundaries with family who are constantly crossing them? Well, I would say if they don't, if your extended family doesn't agree with your values, to a sense, tough. Like, they're your values. You know, by by the very definition, they're yours. I'm not making them yours, mum and dad, or sister, or auntie who likes to pipe off. They're mine. (laughs) And just like I'm not going to impose my values upon you, I'm not going to allow you to impose your values on me. This is what we've decided as a husband, wife, couple, family, that are the values of our home. They're not up for negotiation with outside sources when they say, we don't think that you should do this or that. I mean, obviously, there are incidences where wisdom comes in, but when we're talking about the deal breaker stuff, Mm -hmm. like the covenant stuff that you have decided as a husband and wife, things that are are godly, then they're not, like, it's not anybody else's Mm -hmm. business or right to come in and interfere with that. They're your values. As far as the overreach of parents, that's where you have to set clear, firm boundaries in a respectful and honouring way. 
So when it comes to, to mum and dad, the Bible does say we are to honour our parents, and this is very imp- important. We must always be honourable, but we m- must always be firm. This is how we're building our family. These are the choices that we have made. And if you find that overreach too, and I found in my own personal life, when my second son got married, he was my first son to get married, my Ash, uh, I, I, had, I actually was face-to-face with the reality of this because he'd started his family As the Bible says, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. They start a new union. Came to Christmas time and uh, I remember calling my son because we have traditions at Christmas. Our family has traditions. We wake up together on Christmas morning. We have breakfast together. We open presents together. So I called Ash, first Christmas as a married man, and I said, so when should I expect you and Aubrey on Christmas Eve? So we can wake up together and do the Matessius family traditions. And I was met with some silence and some awkwardness. Um, uh, well, um, 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 actually, um, Aubrey. And and I was, like, pleasant on the phone because I know how to be pleasant. (laughs) But I was inwardly seething, how dare you? I have stretch marks on my body because of you. You know, like, I'm thinking all these things. Like... And then I got off the phone and I said to Jürgen, you better speak to that boy and tell him that we have a long-standing tradition. I think Jürgen was scared of me too. Everybody was scared of me. But then I went away and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me so clearly as I was seething. And he said, Leanne, if you make your son choose between you and his wife, he's not going to choose you. Not only that... He shouldn't choose you. And not only that, you shouldn't want him to choose you. You're to back off. You need, I know those apron strings are made of iron, but we are going to get the jaws of life because he has a new woman in his life now. Doesn't mean you've been replaced, but you have been replaced in the sense of this is the most important relationship of any woman in his world. So you'll always be his mum but there's now a superior relationship and that is husband and wife. And so I felt the Holy Spirit um, like back off. And so I'm like, I don't want to be that mother-in-law that manipulates and puts the guilt trip. Oh, we never see you. Oh gosh, you haven't called me in ages. You must be so busy. And ever since you've been married, it's like you don't have any time for me anymore. And I never get to see the grandchildren. Just stop it, stop it, stop it. And you know what I found? The minute I backed off and allowed them to set the pace, I would still give invitations. It's not that I wasn't saying, love you to come for Christmas, but I didn't turn into a raging bee with an itch if he said, no, we can't do it. (laughs) And I didn't manipulate. And I, you know, I know that's probably triggering people, but hey, if the shoe fits. Um, uh, You know what I found? The opposite happened. They would go, we miss you. We want to come hang out. When can we, mom, are we going to go here again? Are we going to do that again? We'd love to come. Like complete different. See, see, you know, I I actually ended up getting essentially what I wanted, but doing it in a godly, honorable way that respected my son and and his wife. So I will leave that with you, mother-in-laws and uh, mothers. Amen. Amen. Okay, Dr. Brian. Um, In addition to... So good. I love it because when you hear her share this like really just authentic moment where she gets on the phone with her son for the first time as a married man and her expectations of this deep, like meaningful ritual of connection that she shared with him her whole life and the Lord is letting her come into contact. Oh, it's different now. Um, The fact that the Holy Spirit responded to Pastor Leanne and said... If you, if you call him on this, you're going to lose. Is because Pastor Leanne was an amazing, successful mom. As she trained him up to be an honorable man who knew, nope, the right thing for me to choose right now is my wife's needs. God has ordained me to put her first in my life. And one of, like, just as she was alluding to at the end, one of the things, like, if you are um, a parent with adulting children and you want that closeness, just as Pastor Leanne, we wanna make sure that what we communicate to our loved ones, parent, child, anybody else, 
is that it is not your job to meet my needs. It's not your job to fill my tank. I am an adult who is responsible for my own heart, and I want you in my life. And that means if you got other stuff going on that weekend, awesome, and I hope it's wonderful. If you treat the people in your life, your extended family, with that kind of uh, permission to be who they are, they're going to crave your voice in their life. If you have family members who don't know how to offer you that, maybe you're like trying to figure out how do we how do we create the culture of our home because that's the only thing God holds us accountable for. He does not hold us accountable for the culture of the world. He holds us accountable for the culture inside of our wow. home. Wow. Powerful. And so what that means is like when we say, "All right, this is a value." Uh, men, that means you don't go back to mom and say, well, we're not going to be able to come this year. Yeah, yeah. And implicitly communicate to mom, My wife. it's her. The woman you gave me. The one <laughs> he gave me. Exactly. Thing. Genesis 3. The one you gave me. Um, that's that's so not ownership. So what it means is that we're able to go to them and we're able to say, these are our decisions. This is our value. This is how we're going to do life. And it also means that if, if the person, the parent, the family member isn't happy with that, you want to make sure that you, one of the, actually one of the best um, kind of indicators, it's like, it's like a thermometer that lets us know, are my, are my boundaries dialed in well? Is do I feel frustration and resentment towards you? That's probably an indication that my boundaries need to be calibrated. When I feel generosity towards you, you're frustrated, you're heartbroken. I'm like, I know it's, it's hard when somebody comes in and, and you've like, this dysfunction is normal. And somebody comes in with health and says, oh, there's a new boundary. It's scary. It feels like loss of connection. It feels like rejection. It feels like all these painful things. And I'm going to show you that this is a safe thing. It's a safe thing for me to prioritize my wife. I'm still going to be available to you for connection. That they might protest that. And so you want to make sure that your boundaries leave you in your integrity so that creates a generosity of compassion towards them. We call them big boundaries, B-I-G. Boundaries that leave you in your integrity leave you in a generous posture towards that, that other person. And just to give, give them permission. Let them go through whatever they're going to go through. If they become passive aggressive, if they, if they throw a fit, if they protest, if they don't talk to you for a couple of weeks, um, they say, yeah, it's, it's hard to feel. Like these boundaries that we have, they're scaring you. And I get it. Uh, and that's the boundary. That's where it is. I love that, and I think that's so important, what you just said. Like, I think if we think that we're going to avoid offense in family, it's a, it's a fool's errand. It's, it's going to happen. You, you have to do exactly what you said. Set the boundaries with integrity so you can, be, so you can give of yourself authentically, right. and not, it's not a begrudging action. And going back to what you said a minute ago, I, I think that is what honor looks like in that relationship. Honor does not look like pleasing the other person if that person is not healthy, if that person is not safe. It means doing the work in my own heart so I can view you with compassion, that I can view you with a generous spirit and I can treat you with honor. That means I probably don't turn around to all my friends and, and, and my gathering or whatever and talk badly about you because like, man, yeah, she's having a hard moment. Like I'm able to, I'm able to view you with generous, uh, with a generous spirit. Yeah. So incredible. How good is this? This is, this is like real life. This, this is going to help your next conversation with an extended family member. So incredible. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be a relationship panel without talking about sex. So we will go there as we do, Waken style. So I'm going to let Pastor Leanne lead this, and we'll see where we go. But the question is this. What are some practical things a husband can do when he feels he is getting the Heisman stiff arm, whatever that is, I don't know, from his wife in the bedroom? Yes, it's a classic scene, that one, isn't it? I I would say the first question is ask why. So if you're finding that there is a lack of physical intimacy in your relationship and you're getting the strong arm, Ask your wife the question, why? Do it in a respectful way. I think if you bring it up in a fight, heaven help you. (laughs) Wait till there's a level of peace and when you're not in conflict and say, I'm actually feeling really neglected in this area and really like our relationship is in deficit. And I want to ask you the question, why? why? Why are you you know, not 
open to me in this area? Or what, why are you withholding? What, what is happening within you? And then what that does is it creates an opportunity for real and honest conversation to come out. And for you to maybe hear some things sometimes that you don't want to hear. Therefore, then you can fix the things that need to be fixed and there can be reconciliation. But if you look in the, in the book of Song of Solomon, which is the book of romance and, and sex in the Bible, you'll see that it actually never talks about quantities. It never says, in order to be a good Christian couple, thou shalt have sex three times a week or the Lord will strike thee with a lightning bolt. Like it actually never says that. It doesn't talk about quantities. Um, and I think it's dangerous to do so. It does talk about the environment that is created for romance and sexual intimacy to flourish. So if you read the story, I mean, this is a husband who is creating an environment of security for his wife. She feels affirmed. She feels loved. She feels like there's no one else that's beside her or compares to her. There's, there's an intense atmosphere of romance that has been intentionally built in order for love and sex to flourish. So I would, I would strongly put it to you today to, instead of demanding and saying, this is my right as a husband and your body belongs to me because Paul said it in Corinthians, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's not gonna go well for you, my friend. <laughs> you, you need to have asked the question why. Also understanding um, that there are times and seasons in every woman's life. I think particularly when they have young children and they're harried and they're feeling pushed from every end. Sometimes if there is another demand at the end of the night and there's been no sense of help or effort from the spouse, it can feel like another chore at the end of the day. Somebody else wants something from me. Really great. So, and for me too, I also think sex is about, it's about preferring one another. And, and I'm not trying to be TMI today or anything like that, but I do want to help you. Like the sexual act is I want to, I want to please my husband. I, I love him. I want to make his life better. And he feels the same way about me. So if we apply that to every area in our relationship, we will have a collision of the most beautiful selfless love. And only good things can come as, as a result. But the times and seasons, menopause is another one, where women, for whatever reason, are going through a season where there will be extra patience required by the husband. And like one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So I need you to, to understand that. Have the conversations that need to be had. A sexless marriage is no fun for anybody. And it's not what God intended. And it's not how things should stay. But if you find yourself there, don't just go into your separate corners, separate bedrooms. That's a playground for the enemy to jump in and defile something that God designed to be so pure. Bring outside counsel in. Get counsel. Do whatever you need to do to get to, to make your marriage work and flourish. But it all starts with a conversation. It all starts with why. Let's talk about this. Amen, Leanne. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about it. Come on. I love it. Dr. Brian, we would love to hear from you on the topic. How good was that response? That, because when people come to me and um, let's say a husband comes to me and, and he says, like, my wife isn't accessible sexually. The first thing I'm going to say is the most powerful, you know, th th there might be things that we don't know about yet. There might be trauma in her past that's contributing to this. There might be other dynamics where you're violating her boundaries and you don't even, you're not even aware of it. There might be other factors contributing. The most powerful tool you have when it comes to your spouse being open to you is curiosity. Because curiosity requires a couple of things of you. For me to be genuinely in a state of curiosity. Curiosity is not questioning, right? It's not like, why? Tell me why. That's not curious. Curious is calm, wow. it's self-assured, it's caring, right? Like, oh really, why is that? Because I'm just interested in understanding and knowing you more deeply. So when I go, like the question is powerful because the question reveals, I actually, I lost the game before I even got up to bat. If I go to you like, why aren't you having more sex with me? <laughs> the question reveals that my focus is not on connecting with you. My focus is on gratifying me. And the, the, especially, especially men, especially with your wives, to think like, okay, most men have, an, have a kind of internal wiring. We wire 
in a more insular, a more self-focused way. And that's not the same as being selfish. That there's, a, there's an instinct in men to protect, to build, to go out into the world and to create a safe protection for their family. Women tend to be wired much more relationally and contextually. And so when you come to your wife and say, why aren't you meeting my needs? She's thinking, bro, you don't even... <laughs> your brain, sweetheart, talking to the husband, your brain says, what do I need? What do I need to go complete my job? What do I need to make sure my family has enough... I've provided for them. What do I need? Blah, blah, blah. My brain asks the different question all day long. It says, what do you need? 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 And so when you come to her and you say, why aren't you meeting my needs? It's just one more message like, oh, nobody is watching out for what I need. And she's going to go into self-protection. And when you turn to her with curiosity and that calmness and you say, babe, what's going on? I've noticed this. I've noticed that you haven't wanted to in a while. What do you think is, do you think you're tired? Have I hurt your feelings? Do you think you feel just like kind of alone? Like what's going on? And I give you the space to explore. Maybe she doesn't even know what's going on. Maybe she needs to like reflect on it and work it out. Then you help her take off her armor. She knows that it's safe. Like, oh, I don't have to make up an excuse. I don't have to placate you right now. Yeah. I love it. Amazing. Yes. But things can be better than they've been. So I want you to know that today. I know this is probably one of the most common things that we hear come to us in relationships between men and women in marriage. And I want you to know that we've we've heard, heard and had some incredible success stories. But it's, it's important too that you don't grow weary in doing good. Amen. Like keep, like persevering. You, you, you can, like, you can really have the marriage that you always dreamed you yeah. could have. Um, so I want to just encourage you today. Yes, and amen to that, Pastor Liani. Okay, we're going to, we have one last question that we're going to end on. And I know we, we're, we've covered a lot of ground. Like, let's be honest, you could talk about relationships for hours on end, and the wisdom here is incredible, and we could go so deep and dive deep into this, but we just don't have the time. Um, But it's relationship month all month, so make sure you bring your friends, bring your family to church, and we have our young adults, let's talk about it, night that we have happening on February 19th, so all the young adults need to be there. Like, the world doesn't know how to do relationships, so... So we're going to talk about these things. Let's talk about it. And we have our marriage getaway where we're going to have Dr. Brian. And we even have Dr. Brian back in two weeks' time. So if he didn't answer all your questions now, he's going to answer them all then. And we just love you. So thank you for being with us. But last question, and then we're going to have some ministry time. So if anything's been triggered for you or just something's lingering, we want to encourage you to come get some prayer from our ministry team. But the last question is this for both of you. What would you tell the young, single year, single old, ver- year old, I don't know, whatever year you want to pick, yeah. <laughs> version of yourself? And maybe you weren't single because Pastor Leanne was only single for 17 years. That's not very long. <laughs> That's true. About marriage, family, kids, any traps to avoid or lies to avoid? Yeah. Yes. What would you tell yourself? You know, I, I think that God brings different things up in different decades. So in my 20s, there were some things, 30s, now in my 40s, different things. I think our relationship with God and the, you know, the healing and the transformation process is something, uh, the Bible even says this, that you know, God is going to be invested in until the day of His second coming. So until Jesus splits the sky, there's going to be stuff that the Lord is working on in us. I would say one of my regrets when I look back would be a resistance to that, like if God get if God shines his light on something, if he puts his finger on something, for goodness sake, let him have it till he's done. Like let don't jump off that potter's wheel. I use the analogy sometimes it's like you're halfway through surgery and then you jump off the table mid mid surgery and then you're running down the hall with that gown with the the open back and you end up showing everybody your butt. Like stay on the table. Um, And I think there were many times where God started a work, but it became too painful or intense or it triggered things in me or it meant that I had to sacrifice something I didn't want to sacrifice. And so I got off the operating table and ran down the hall only to experience a level of exposure that, you know, I wouldn't have had to if I just submitted. Um, I would say that's probably one. The second one was I was a young wife, I got married at 17. I had my first child at 19. 
And so I felt, uh, even though these were choices that I made, a level of resentment over a loss of freedom. And when I look back, I'm like, gosh, I wish I was just content in the season I was in. Instead of, you know, wishing my kids would grow up or wishing this would, you know, fast forward so I could have this level of freedom back or that level of freedom back or do this or do that. Just really being present in the moment. My, my eldest son is 28 and it feels like yesterday. I was changing his diapers in our first little home in New Zealand. And I remember in those stages feeling kind of stifled. Oh my gosh, I have no life. But looking down, looking back now and going, oh my gosh, I had everything. And I wish I knew then what I know now. So, so young wives, young mums, hear it from me. Don't, don't be in a hurry to make life go faster. Like enjoy every moment. Find the joy in every moment because before you know it, in the, in the blink of an eye, the click of a finger, they're going to be grown up. So I think of that. Is it the Cat Stevens? Is it Cat Stevens? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, dad, I don't know when. We'll get together then, son. Right? Okay, so he's talking about you know, his little boy or his child desperate to spend time with, with dad. And then the cycle continues. And now it's the dad calling the son going, hey, I'd love to see you. But now he's busy. My boy is just like me. So think about what you're imprinting on your children in those early days. Like, I, I want to be present in every moment. I, I'm going to love my kids, love my husband, not be in a in a rush to get through this season. Paul said it so rightly, I have learned to be content. And contentment sometimes has to be a learned thing. And, and I don't want you to miss this moment. That's why Jesus said, just take one day at a time. Stop time traveling every day. Don't make an idol out of the future or your vision. Be, be present in the here and now because those babies will grow up. And you'll think back, oh my gosh, I wish I was more patient. I wish I didn't spank you so much out of frustration. And I laughed a whole lot more. You know, the saying, don't cry over spilt milk is such a true, like profound in its simplicity. I don't think things that we think are problems are actually problems. Like, don't lose your mind over something that isn't a problem. At the end of the day, is it gonna matter? No, it's not. Enjoy being where you are. Yeah. Let's say thank you to Pastor Leanne. You have gone first in so many areas of your life so that a lot of us young women, and I'm not even that young anymore, but a lot of us other women can follow in your footsteps and glean from those things that you are saying. Like that's so powerful, so, so simple yet so powerful that can actually change our lives. So thank you so much for being who you are and going first before us. And Dr. Brian, you get to answer the question now. Man, it's a, it's a powerful question because I think about me. I think about, um, not, the, not like a universal need of all marriages. I think like, what did Brian need to hear? And if, I, I feel actually reflecting on it, it goes a little bit deeper than first service. Like I, if I could actually talk to myself at 20 years old, I, the first thing I want to tell him is like, buddy, you actually don't know what intimacy is yet. Wow. You have an idea of what intimacy is that's actually performance. Wow. You think intimacy is earning people's love, earning people's approval. And so I would want to say buckle up because God is about to take you to school. Your marriage is going to teach you what intimacy is. And uh, the way that comes out is instead of viewing my wife as a mirror, who I, my goal as her husband is to get truly naked and let her reflect back to me love and affirmation and let her reflect back to me blind spots and ugly I kind of look at her more like a vending machine where I like, oh, I I did something good for you and then you make me feel good about myself. And so to give myself permission at 20 years old, like it's gonna get bumpy. Um, On the first day of your honeymoon, you're without even, before you've even gotten out of bed, you're gonna offend your wife so bad she's gonna spend the whole morning crying. Just, it's coming bro, it's okay. Nothing's gone wrong. You haven't made a mistake. You didn't marry the wrong person. Um, that what it's going to reflect back to you is that I'm going to teach you, I, God, 
through Sarah, I'm gonna teach you what it feels like to be really, truly, completely known. And it's gonna feel like, I, I can't imagine a better, it's gonna feel like surgery. And so don't get off the table, just stay with the process. Yeah. yeah. Come on, we're gonna get schooled on intimacy. I love it. We need to get schooled on that, I think. I love it. Well, why don't we stand to our feet and we're gonna close in prayer here. I'm gonna ask Dr. Brian to pray over us. And then the ministry team can go ahead and start to make your way forward because I know people are going to come forward and ask for prayer. But why don't you just, if your spouse is here, hold their hand. If not, just pray with us. And we're going to have Dr. Brian close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, thank you so much, Lord, that when Pastor Leanne says that better is possible, that it's not, it's not possible, uh, like, against your will, or if, if we just, like, if we become the anomaly, or if we get lucky, look, better is your plan for our life. And there are marriages every single day that are being transformed because they surrender to the process that you've built into our marriages. So we, we ask for courage and for faith and for trust to surrender to the process of healing that you are offering us in our marriages. Lord, where there is anxiety, if, we, if we've been take, talking today and anxiety is coming to the surface or frustration is coming, to, Lord, I pray that you would quicken courage and we would welcome the anxiety and we would not be intimidated by it. We break fear in the name of Jesus and we, we invite your courage and your faith to say, what is coming up? Why am I scared? Why does this make me uncomfortable? Because that is an invitation, Lord, that you are inviting us into deeper intimacy, deeper wholeness, into a marriage, a connection, a fulfillment that we actually probably didn't even know was possible until now. So Lord, we pray over every marriage, current in the room and the future ones. Lord, we pray that you would reign. We pray that you would teach us what true intimacy, true nakedness is, that we would be truly known. And Lord, we pray that, that you would give us the courage, the path, the wisdom, and the, and the covering, the, the guides, the mentors, that we would really step into and take the step that when our marriage works and we get stuck, Lord, that we would see that as the opportunity for the next step. We pray over the marriages that are gonna pray for in just a minute. Lord, I pray that today would be a turning point, that, it, that, that where there was fear, there would now be hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now. Bye.